Welcome back to Revise and Resubmit, a 10-ish minute podcast where I chat with academic writers about their approach to writing. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Brown, Assistant Professor in the Couple, Marriage, and Family Therapy Program at Texas Tech University. On today's submission, we are here in the halls of the annual conference of the National Council on Family Relations in beautiful Fort Worth, Texas, where I have with me Dr. Kristen Anders. Dr. Anders is an assistant professor in the School of Family Studies and Human Services at Kansas State University. She has written and published a number of articles about relationship and sexual development in adolescents and emerging adults, which you can find in high-impact journals such as Emerging Adulthood, Archives of Sexual Behavior, Journal of Sex Research, and many others. Dr. Anders puts a large emphasis on applied work to the communities she writes about as exhibited through her public scholarship with a team called Relevate. You can learn more about this initiative at myrelevate.com. She is also into what she self-describes as freestyle cooking. So first off, Dr. Anders, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for including me on the show. And so talk to me, this freestyle cooking. <laughs> um, when I think of freestyle, I think of like those freestyle Coke machines. Yeah. Absolute favorite. Oh, yeah. Vanilla Sprite. Um, absolutely great. So, so freestyle cooking, what's this about? So that really stems from the fact that I am terrible at following a recipe. I don't even try anymore at this point. So um, I've been uninvited from baking for events or for others um, simply because I'm so bad at following a recipe. You've been uninvited. Uninvited. <laughs> so I, um, so I, we jokingly call it freestyle cooking. Um, and as you can imagine, that goes very well or very poorly. So I'll leave that um, at the uh, consumer's risk. Okay, yeah. so it <laughs> sounds like a threat. So, so, but how do you keep track of when something goes well? Like, how do you remember like what you did? Or do you, is this just one of those, like, this is an organic thing, we got to enjoy it while it lasts, and now that this batch of whatever is gone, it's probably not going to happen again. See, I, did, did my husband ask you that, tell no, you to ask me that question? Oh, yes. He gets very <laughs> upset because when I do freestyle cook, when it goes really well, he's like, yeah, please write down the recipe. And I'm like, oh, oops. <laughs> so we've had some things, really good things come and go over the years. And so... Um, yeah, so I'm convinced that my husband told you to ask yes. me that question. <laughs> this is all a ploy, just for your husband to yeah. get at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, well, let's let's jump into some of these questions. So you are, you just finished, recently finished a great postdoc opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a postdoc comes a lot of different expectations mm-hmm. uh, where that are predominantly set by whoever is overseeing your postdoc and responsibilities that are had with that. How do you balance expectations of your postdoc, which can be quite intensive um, and heavy, mm-hmm. with while also kind of fostering your own research line? Yeah, that's such a great question. And um, I think it's really important in our field to talk about as more and more people are getting into postdoc positions rather than the traditional, you know, graduate from grad school and then go into a faculty line. Um, and so I think the the biggest thing that helped me and was really important was I found someone who was, the postdoc position was very similar to what I'm interested in. So it allowed for a nice balance of that I got to uh, organically write some of my own um, writing and research interests through that postdoc position while also balancing that I need to get out the work um, of the my postdoc mentor um, and then um, 
So I, I really want to emphasize, if you are looking at postdoc positions, make, make sure to find something that is going to align nicely with, that's going to help support you. It's not only about supporting them and a good postdoc mentor, um, which shout out to mine, um, Dr. Michelle Toes, um, is about also how can they help you grow and develop, including with your own writing. And so there's there should be this nice balance too of where they are intentionally trying to foster you having time for your own writing and continuing to develop your own research area and um, making sure that you um, get to learn skills from them and particularly with um, you unique writing um, <clears throat> writing abilities and writing styles uh, you often as I'm sure everybody who's in grad school knows that you learn your writing styles hopefully from uh, some great mentors um, or trial and error or trial and error and rejections <laughs> yes. I'm not speaking from personal experience Maybe more error and more trials yes, yes. and some angry reviewers um, but so you you learn um, to write in similar vein as your major professor hopefully um, but then you going into postdoc position I got to continue continue having mentoring around my writing from a unique source so I got to learn these cool unique tricks from both sides and then also balance in who just I am it's a really important to to keep yourself in there too uh, so um, I think finding a good mentor in the postdoc position is helpful and then making sure to be intentional about you're pursuing your own own research and and uh, fostering your time with that yeah, too. kind of keeping that alive yeah and that's such great advice because of so you're saying and, and making the argument of balancing this the expectations of the postdoc as well as continuing to foster your own line starts from even before you even get there as oh. when you're considering postdoc positions you're considering that this person is not just a boss not just somebody that is an avenue of a paycheck to support you or your family but is a mentor mm -hmm. and to find somebody's work that if not overlaps at least parallels mm -hmm what you're doing and hopefully create space for like a collaborative relationship that you're not only supporting them, but then that they can also be a part of the work that you're doing. Exactly. Great advice. Yeah. And so I know recently you are, were just hired as a new faculty at Kansas State University. Congratulations. Thank That's you. a fantastic and a huge big deal, Thanks. especially such a great university as Kansas State. Uh, yeah. Go Wildcats. So, <laughs> um, so transitioning into this role, there is a lot, and, and I'm not just referring to like the behind the scenes of like the background check and getting your transcripts all over and, mm -hmm. and you know, finding a new home or apartment mm -hmm. and moving and, and startup stuff. Like there's so much more because in many ways you're taking on new course preps, you're taking on advisees, you're all of a sudden, you are seen as another additional resource for thesis committees, dissertation committees, mm -hmm. committees that oversee various things on the university. Et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You I don't want to make people anxious in this in this <laughs> in this conversation. So, how how do you squeeze in writing? I mean, I, I just see this as so easily getting kind of pulled into. Although these other facets of the job are really great and mm -hmm. enjoyable, I just it it would be easy to see writing get lost in all of this. Mm -hmm. So, as someone as productive and influential as you've been in your writing, like how do you how do you make this work? Um. I don't know, Cam. How do you make this work, right? How do you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think you don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think the word squeeze is very appropriate for this. Uh, it's a lot about squeezing it in when you can. Um, so this wasn't about writing, but it was. It's really applicable that I 
think about a lot, we just hired a new school director for our school and she talks about how she has 15 minutes and so whatever she can write out in 15 minutes or get done in 15 minutes and so I've learned to do that in short periods. But the best thing I can offer is to block off, block off time for yourself and for your writing. This is you could get bogged down or get just carried away with course prep, working with students, all of these, all of the above. And so I actually actively once a week block off a full day for writing, and that's what I do. I I I'm, I do sometimes <clears throat> schedule meetings on those writing days if it's in desperate need. Oh, no. I'm calling myself off, <laughs> calling myself out on this, um, but I'm very intentional, and I do that way in advance. So I've already actually set all of my spring writing days, um, wow. and so it's once a week, and it's my writing time, and it lets me do some of the deep work. Which, if you haven't heard of that concept, it's um, there's a really good podcast and book that talk about doing deep work, and it's where you don't let others others, sorry, that was a Freudian slip, others or other things distract you. Um, And so you can really heavily concentrate on that. And so scheduling writing time is so crucial. And so maybe you don't have full writing days based on your teaching schedule, but I guarantee you can find half a writing day and block that off and treat that like an appointment. That's what I've been told. And so um, being really intentional about that. Um, And then a second piece that I like to do is I will do writing days with others. So there's a little bit more accountability. And um, so they can be like, hey, I see that you're supposed to be working on this manuscript or whatnot. But instead, you're looking at your course prep materials. And they can be like, stop doing that. Um, Plus, we always start our writing days off. So I do this currently with uh, with Dr. Toes, um, but we, at the beginning of each writing day, we write our goals. What do we want to accomplish in that writing day? So there's much more accountability for it. But it also allows me to have an opportunity, someone in this office or wherever space we go to, to pick their brain about. Because writing isn't this process where you have to do this on your own and that you have to um, <clears throat> what's the word? You know, figure everything out on your own. It should be a collaborative process, um, but I I do jokingly think that squeeze is the best. <laughs> is a good is yeah. a good fit. It's a well, good it does. Fit. It's kind of like working within the cracks sometimes, mm-hmm. especially with demands yes. that you have as a faculty, and then especially as a new faculty. Yeah. Well, so one of the things, one of the many things that I think really makes you a unique scholar is your commitment to applied fill in the fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Whether you are writing, whether you are teaching, you it is very much this tone of applied, mm-hmm. of what am I what I am sharing is it reaching the audience that needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of breaking that traditional ivory tower mm-hmm. of, of just talking to other researchers, talking to other scholars, but you're actively trying to break that, which is a really unique and fantastic thing about you. It comes with this difficulty of now all of a sudden you're writing to multiple audiences. Mm-hmm. So if you're writing towards getting published in a journal, the people that are more likely than not reviewing your article or refereeing your, your manuscript prior to publication are fellow scholars. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, 
the end goal is to write towards a specific community, mm-hmm. which could be a, a, a family, a university, a whatever it may be. But then almost like to get to this community, you have to go through this gateway of fellow scholars, which is really a, a great way and one of the hallmarks of rigor in our mm-hmm. field. Um, but provides that you're mul- speaking to multiple audiences. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about how you approach your writing to help manage that. Because I could see that getting intimidating and maybe leading to shutting down or, mm-hmm. or all of a sudden you're losing your narrative. Talk to me a little bit about that process. Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, because there, it can be tricky. It can be tricky because you're right. So um, particularly with a lot of my academic writing, I really want to emphasize pieces around applied work with ranging from education, particularly with adolescents and working with adolescents and emerging adults, and then also prevention and intervention work. I think something to keep in mind is that it's more intimidating in the front end than when actually getting it reviewed. Now, are there some old school, research heavy, academics who are doing amazing things but are a little bit less accepting of some of the really important applied and implication work? Yes. But I see this trend that more and more people are interested in the, what can we do with this? What We're doing all of this really important research. Yeah, like the so what. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, beyond just like, you know, that tiny little implication section that you write at the end of it. It's typically and, a paragraph. And yeah. it's often focused actually on future research <laughs> and right. not actually right. implications. It's one sentence. This yeah. matters. <laughs> yeah. Hard stop. <laughs> we should talk to college students. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you yeah. know, so... Uh, I think that there's been a lot more movement, particularly with some of the younger scholars, that they want to have more than just that small implication section. And so I've started, I test the waters, I think is a good way. You don't want to go in and be like, um, I'm, I'm not going to make any loud noises and, you know, deafen anybody, but like, bam, like, you know, yeah. here's all this, this, you know, new, more applied language, but I, I slowly transition it in and I I, um, slip it in and I use a lot of research to back it up. So it's, it is about that. It's not these unfounded ideas. This is, we've been talking around this applied work and this applied language for a long time. So here's some actual language for it. And here's some, I'm slipping it in and I'm supporting it. Um, So I think feel be a little less intimidated by it because there are more and more scholars who are really interested in learning how to move them themselves and haven't been trained in it to move from just research into what can, this so what what can we do with this um, and so I think that's I'm and I learned that at wonderful conferences and stuff that people are interested and they want to know and so um, you know you'll get pushback it's okay Dr. Anders, thank you very much for being on the show with us today. You've offered some really great advice for for not just developing young writers and scholars, but then people of all developmental levels. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Revise and Resubmit is proudly supported by Texas Tech University's Department of Community, Family, and Addiction Sciences, as well as my program, Couple, Marriage, and Family Therapy. Want to see more about what we do, our research, and our fantastic undergraduate and graduate programs? Find us on the web by simply searching for Texas Tech CFAS. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Revise Podcast, or find us on the web at bit.ly slash revisepodcast. Share your writing tips, ideas, or someone you want to hear on the show. Special thanks to our fantastic doctoral students, Benjamin Finlayson and Doug McPhee, for assisting in the production of this podcast. Join us on the next submission of Revise and Resubmit.